Roger Dilks had ruled that Newcastle play in their away strip because of a colour clash. So the kit manager of Hanover looked at my birthday and he saw 29 now. So and he gave me the 29. So that was special. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I was a young player, but he gave me under 30 kind of. Kick off wearing the white shirts with the nice clear numbers on them. England are playing in what I can only describe as indigo blue. This is the Football Kid Podcast, and we welcome you to what is our seventh episode in total, even if we call it episode six, since we didn't number the Euro special. I'm Dennis from Museum of Jerseys. And I'm Les from Hull City Kits. In this sixth, seventh, whatever episode, we'll be meeting Steve Appenowitz, author of the essential Bundesliga Tree Coast book, mostly about his latest work, which catalogues the kits of Borussia Mönchengladbach. We'll also get our mashup geek on, looking at what Chelsea wore in their first season with Adidas. But first, we've a short story to tell about a change in EFL kit regulations. So cast your minds back to Euro 2020 plus one in the summer and we saw quite a few sets of alternate shorts designed to be worn with the primary shirts when the first choice shorts caused a clash. England, Germany, Sweden and Italy all wore shorts distinct from those registered with the primary or change kits at some point. So evidently UEFA's preferred method for short clash avoidance is alternate shorts. In the EFL however Alternate shorts have effectively been prohibited when the league decided that clubs could register three kits for 2021-22, but not additional shorts as had been seen in previous seasons. Quite a few EFL clubs, although I still prefer calling it the Football League. EFL just sounds a bit pointless. You know, it, it was a selling point that it was the Football League, but I digress. A few clubs were routinely users of alternative shorts like Nottingham Forest would often have a, a red set to wear with their home shirts when needed QPR would wear blue Oxford generally have a yellow set instead of navy and of course your beloved Hull have been alternate amber shorts wearers on their travels for most of the time since they've been with Umbro I think haven't they? They have yeah and, and I'm really fond of the amber short look away from home but I was told just before the start of the season that if you have an additional set of shorts, that gets considered part of a fourth kit. And because the EFL will only let you register three, you can't have them. So I was a bit confused when Hull City started the season at Preston North End wearing amber shorts with the home shirts. But as it turned out, they were wearing part of the third kit, which at that point hadn't been released. Now, I think you can argue that Amber shorts are a natural fit with the maroon and black shirts of the third kit. But when we first used the third shirts and socks at Huddersfield, we wore the home black shorts instead. So I mean, typically Hull City will only use a third kit a couple of times in a season. And I think we might never see 
the third kit used as it's registered with the league. And it looks like the club have gone with interchangeability and mashups as how we're going to deal with short clashes this season. Yeah, and a few clubs, in fairness, have have designed sets of kits that can be easily mixed and matched. Walsall and Luton um, are the, the gold standard there. Cambridge can do it, I think. Twansey and Barnsley at a push. And then, like, Hull have black shorts on their awake, don't they? Like, and I think Sheffield United, Bournemouth as well. And, like, that goes against the EFL guidance, which says that the colour of the shirt, shorts and socks for each kit is different to and would sufficiently contrast against the other kits registered by the club. So most clubs with third kits have followed that guidance and made all three kits very different. And then there's further guidance that states, when considering selection of shirts and socks, clubs should have regard to the guidance issued by the Football Association on helping those affected by colour blindness. Mm, see, this is where it gets a bit messy. I mean, you notice there they say shirts and socks, but they don't include shorts. And when I first heard about this change, you know, you, you can't have alternate shorts anymore, I thought, oh, well, mashups is how the EFL prefer to have short clashes avoided, not alternate shorts, which they've effectively outlawed. But when you look closely at the changes to the kit regulation text for this season, you can see that in some cases, they're absolutely not bothered about short clashes. So there's a, a bit of text in section 38.3 and it says where both clubs request to play in the same or similar coloured shorts then an application to do so shall be made to the appointed match referee whose content shall not be unreasonably withheld and I was at Luton against Hull City in October and both sides and the officials all had dark shorts on I couldn't quite work that out. It's perplexing really on the one hand they're saying clubs must make sure colourblind players and spectators are considered when the kits are designed and then at the same time they're saying short scatches are okay if the ref doesn't mind and that puts most of the emphasis on the shirts doing the lifting when avoiding clashes. Yeah and the bizarre thing about that was there was a, 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 an article on The Athletic very recently all about colour blindness and the, the first person to talk to was Matt Holland the former Charlton player and he said in his first ever game for Charlton which was a friendly against Plymouth he couldn't tell the two teams apart because the red and the green shirts were indistinguishable to him. And so he said he relied on looking at the shorts to tell the team apart. So if you truly being considerate of those affected by colour blindness, surely allowing the same tone of shorts is a bit counterintuitive to that. Or at the very least, it puts the burden on kit designers to consider every possible eventuality that could happen in a league of 72 clubs. Yeah, and... Have you been able to find anyone to give any rationale behind it? No, I mean, the, the regulations themselves don't give any reason for it. I did ask a, a number of EFL club secretaries if they had an opinion on it. Most declined to comment, perhaps to think it's a bit niche. But, um, I, you know, one, one club official that I asked, I said, have the league provided any rationale? And the response by text was, rationale the EFL and a, and a series of emojis. So evidently not. <laughs> yeah, they'll probably just change the rules again next season. Well. Unless they do, there's not going to be any more alternate shorts in the league. But we do like mashups, and I guess we're going to see more of those. We can only hope and pray.
print is dead, said Egon Spengler in Ghostbusters, but the inventor of the Proton Pack failed to see the capacity of kit geeks to chronicle the cotton, nylon and polyester that covers professional footballers. In recent months, we've seen the release of 101 Manchester City match-worn shirts by Mark McCarthy and the Leeds United collection by Robert Endicott and Ben Hunt. And soon there'll be the Rangers shirt and three lines on a shirt, the official history of the England football jersey, added to the bookshelves of kit history lovers. We're not limiting ourselves to English language terms. And joining us on the Football Kit podcast is the author of the essential 2018 volume, Bundesliga Trikots, and more recently, Das Gladbach Trikot, which catalogues the kits of Defallen for Russia Mönchengladbach. Welcome to Steve Apanowitz. Hello. Hi, Steve. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're absolutely welcome. So, Steve, you, you wrote Bundesliga Trikot in 2018. This time, you've taken a more focused approach and you're concentrating on one club. It's a really obvious question, but why Gladbach? Of course, it's the obvious question because it's my club since I'm a kid. I can say that I'm born in 69, 1969. Um, my family from my father's side came from the area. My father was from Düsseldorf. My um, uncle was from Viersen, which is pretty close to Mönchengladbach. And when I was, I think, 1978, around this time, my first memory is this turf zero against Borussia Dortmund. And of course, my uncle um, was very mean to bring me into Borussia Mönchengladbach. And every year at Christmas, but I always get every year I got something from Borussia. And my uh, the cousins of my dad took me to first football games in '83 to Bückelberg, Mönchengladbach. It was obvious that I um, could couldn't escape to become a Gladbach fan. My grandfather tried to convince me otherwise to get me into Fortuna Düsseldorf. But he had no luck. <laughs> Obviously, they're they're similar books, but they're they're quite different in that you have a broad spectrum in the Bundesliga one and quite a narrow one with the the Munch and Gladbach one. It's kind of a labour of love, and it's your own club. But is it harder in ways? Then do you put yourself under more pressure almost, or did you did you kind of seek the assistance of other um, Gladbach supporters or, or kit experts? It was so much easier in this case that I didn't have to um, work together with too many collectors. And for the Bundesliga trickle book, I'm not such a neat collector like you, or I'm, I'm call myself a curator. Um, I, I, I bring, as a curator from the museum, I bring the stories together. I collect the stories, tell the stories. That is my job. That's how I see myself. I have, of course, 70 jerseys in my wardrobe as well, but I think four or three match one only. So I needed the collectors for the Bundesliga book, needed the collectors to help me to bring the jerseys together, the kids together, the stories together. And for Gladbach, it was of course easy. I had just one collector um, who helped me to organize all the photographing and the, the, the jerseys, bring them together. Matthias Gorkel, he also has a website, Alle Borussen Trikots, DE. That is his website. And he is my main collector. And we had, of course, other contributors. And, but he was responsible for them. Pictures were also taken at his uh, city near Bremen. And uh, we found a photo studio. So he was all responsible for that. Then the other author is Stefan Hermanns, who is an editor at the Berlin Tagesspiegel newspaper. 
Um, he lived here in Berlin now for over 20 years, but he's born in Mönchengladbach. And um, he approached me when it was clear that this book was coming up. And he called me one day and said, hey, Stefan, I want to get involved. Can I be your partner? I said, immediately, yes, of course. I need somebody like you. That is uh, very essential to have a good writer, a journalist. I'm a hobby journalist. And in this case, we had a very good trio to bring this book together. So although this is a collaborative effort, yeah. was there any lessons that you learned from your first book that you was able to apply to Das Gladbach Trico? Um, yeah, I was a very uh, organized and structured person, I call myself, but of course you learn from your first book what you can do better, what can you do different. It's of course easier to have two more persons to, to work with, to help you share the stories, which is very, um, was the most relieving part for me. I didn't have to write the book myself, the whole book. I could concentrate on my my topics, which is uh, outfitters, also companies, um, sponsors, and merchandising that are my main topics. And Matthias, of course, the jersey expert, the kit expert, the thing. and Stefan is a journalist uh, for football interviews with Lothar Matthäus, the interview with Christian Hochstetter, the interview with Wolfgang Kleff. All that was, of course, Stefan, because it's much easier for him to get access to this kind of People. Did the global pandemic affect production in any way? Yes, um, we got delayed for a year. This was already published or planned to be published last year at the same time. Okay. But it also had a positive effect. I see the positive effect more than the negative effect that we got delayed because we had so much more time to research some new stories, facts. So for me, this delay was very, very much positive. Very good. Were the club supportive with it? Borussia helped us. Um, the big advantage is, of course, that the publishing house has a very big standing in Germany as a football publisher. They're now the club. Um, so we got a very good entry, but the club also said that this, uh, many Borussia Mönchengladbach books are now published by the media team of Mönchengladbach itself. Also most books, although Almost every book now, mostly, is published by the media team of Borussia. Kind of an exception we got here. And um, we got free hands. Uh, we had no restrictions or whatever. They helped us where I could. I wish they could help more. But yeah. that is how it is sometimes. But I think we're happy. But I think they're happy as well. So I think it's good for all of us. Yeah. A lot of books about kits have a tendency to talk more about the players who wore them than the actual garments themselves. And although that context is important, I I love to know the nerdy details, the materials, the designs, the inspirations. What's your approach, Steve? I'm not a collector, so my, my focus is, like I said before, a little bit on the outfitter things. I don't know that it comes from my... From my history, when I grew up, I was always interested in outfitters, who is the label on the shirt, uh, and who is the, later the sponsor. The, uh, Matthias, as collector, of course, is like you. Uh, he wants to know material, he wants to know what it is. And, and Stefan is, I think, more, more general. So um, the focus for me was, like, I want to tell stories that people who are not 
kid nerds who are not Jersey freaks, but who love Borussia Mönchengladbach, want to read something about Borussia they haven't heard before. Of course, we tell about 1973, Günther Netzer is putting him in, the story is retold, but we tell also new stories, never known before, that how, why it was that uh, Borussia played in green and white and green and not Cologne, because they threw a coin. The managers of Borussia Mönchengladbach and Gustav Cologne met before, before the game before, at a home game in Mönchengladbach, a few weeks before the final, and Cologne wanted to play in white, he wanted to play in white, so Grasshoff and Thielen, as in Thielen was it, threw a coin, and then Grasshoff won, and he decided to play in white. That was how it was decided back then. In fact, you never heard before anywhere. I'm very, like I said, I'm very deep in uh, material stuff too, but more from the company side. I want to find out how was it, the cooperation with the club? How was the, the cooperation with the sponsor? I made the Edgar story. I tried to find out somebody about Edgar's. Who was the first uh, person who introduced Borussia to Edgar's? How came this story along? Essex. I had a very good interview with a lot of people from Essex because this is a very unique time. Essex was not very much in football in Germany and in England as well. So it was, I was very curious about it. Why, why is Essex in football? Why did they do it? And I had a luck. And to speak with a lot of people from Essex. And, and that was my approach to the story. So this merchandising as well. The other told the stories about the jersey stuff. And like Matthias, he knew the facts about stories like also never heard before, maybe. Uh, why that? Or we had the, the Silver Star, for example. You remember the Silver Star? Um, it was played in different combinations. Silver and black uh, pants, silver, completely silver. Then there was this one game where they played suddenly in white uh, in December against Hertha because uh, out of superstitiousness. Uh, because Effenberg said, we're losing all the time, we have to change something. So they decided to take a jersey out of the catalog, yeah, printed Berlina on it, and then played against Hertha. They won and in the um, second part of the season. The white jersey suddenly was the main jersey again. And this kind of story, that's what we want to tell. And that was the collaboration of us and everybody brought some parts of it in the book. The players are the, the people who, who get to wear the, the jerseys that we love so much. And, you know, you, you have covered that in the book as well. Like, how was the experience of interviewing someone like Lothar Matthias? Well, this was Stefan's job, of course. Like I said before, he's a journalist. Uh, he interviewed um, Lothar Matthias and all the other players. And... This is more a general interview. It's not so much deep in the details. Uh, how okay. was it uh, to have cotton on the things? But it was more, for example, with Christian Kulik, uh, who was an uh, important player in the 70s for Borussia. We asked him about the colors. Borussia played in blue and red. Nobody knew that. Why Borussia played red? Huh? Why was that? And blue, he couldn't tell so much about it. But he said, it doesn't care. We almost won anyway, uh, every time. So uh, this kind of, this kind of stories, interviews, um, or Christian Hochstetter told us a bit about the Arsenal, the black, the black famous black jersey, um, how it was to get, to get in the cabin when the jersey was hanging there. He told us about this experience, how it was 
how that was. It's very interesting for everybody to, to read these interviews as well. Even if you probably as a kid nerd like Les, he might maybe not get so much out of it like he likes to, but this is different. I see it a little bit different than maybe in England where the players are more involved in this uh, history and how it is. And so we don't have that. We have, um, I have a different angle or we have a different angle on this. It's never fair to ask a fan of a club to pick just one favourite shirt. So instead, I'm going to ask you, what's your favourite era of clubback shirts? Yeah, I'm a kid of the um, 70s, 80s, of course. Uh, my my youth was uh, in the 80s. I have two favourite jerseys. One is old, one is newer. The old one is, of course, the, the famous one where we won against um, Real Madrid 5-1 in Düsseldorf, this with a black shoulder uh, caps. They have now as a new design as well in green and black with a um, stripes uh, on the jersey. That is my all-time favorite. Also, Edgar's advertising is always important. And I was and that surprises maybe somebody because it's very um, neat white. Is the Lotto Lotto jersey? I think it's 2004. 2005, 2005, the second season when Q came. And it was a very plain, plain white jersey with a round neck. And here's some white applications we couldn't see. It's white, completely white. And they wore this jersey in the same season in Hamburg on the, I think, third or the second last uh, game day uh, in black. One time only in black, and this is my in black. And the white is my favorite white, of course, but this black, I like to have this black. And I'm still looking for that one because this is unique, never worn before. And this simple style is my also my style. And I like all plain white jersey for, for, from last season, for example. Or not this season, last season. The black one, of course, uh, or the white one are also very good. This is my taste. That's how I love them. Clean, very wide, not very much uh, about it. And how much how much green is the right level of green on a home shirt? Yeah, the green is only, uh, what do you call it? I don't know the English word for it, sorry, but supportive color or uh, An additional color. color. Yeah, okay. Additional color. Black and white are the main colors of Borussia Mönchengladbach. In the 70s came the green. Okay. Extra. It came, also, they made the green extra. But it is not an original color from, from Borussia at the beginning. Although this came later on in the 70s. So I don't need green. I'm a person who don't need green on my uh, the shirt. Okay. But of course, it has in the famous Gladbach shirts from 67 to 85 with a, a green form strip on the, with a black in the middle. That is, of course, a classic green. And you need that. And this is, of course, perfect. Perfect yeah. jersey. So... Yeah, the green is fine, but today you see it. Um, there is not every time a green in there. If you look at the recent last years, um, we have green jerseys, also, um, it's a search shirt, we have a green, but on the home or away jersey, you never find really much green. Also, when you look at them, this is not so much green. They made it now with a new jersey, the actual one from this season. The first time they brought back the badge in green like it was in the 70s. 
uh, at the beginning, and I saw that at the end of the season, when they played it the first time for the promotion of the next season, they always play it on the last day in Germany. I don't know if they, if they do it in England as well. So Borussia did that again on the last day, and they wore the first jersey, but they had this ugly green and black uh, striped pants on. Okay. And now you have to look it up if you haven't seen it. You should look it up. And this was the design from Puma for this for the season. But this year they decided to play just the jersey and white pants, white shorts. And with this white shorts, the green badge or the, the, the badge itself looks nice. At the beginning, when I saw it the first time, I went, okay, why, why did, do they mix three generations of jerseys and one jersey? Because in this jersey are the 70s with the badge. It's uh, um, the black, uh, green shoulder clap, or whatever you call it, I know the English word for it the best, the um, shoulder badge, um, which is a mix out of 80s and 90s, because this green and uh, black jerseys we had in the 90s. Um, so there are three generations of jerseys in one in one shirt, and I think, why, why do you do that? Why not just one, one generation, 70s or just 80s or something like that? And then this funny color, uh, funny uh, pants that didn't look so well. But now when they wear just uh, the jersey and the white pants, it looks classic. And man, with a 5-0 against Bayern Munich in the cup, this jersey will become history as well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Although this jersey is uh, like the 5-1 from Madrid. This is going to be in 20 years when we talk again. Then um, and we can say look back and say that was a jersey of the generation, for the generation kids, sex and probably. Yeah. Okay, so if you don't need green, what do you think are the elements of a Gladbach kit that make it a Gladbach kit? What must there be for you to recognise that as your team's kit? The badge. <laughs> I yeah. think you heard, you heard the discussion about the third kit, when Kumar, the discussion, I think, all over the world or all over the football world, um, Manchester, Manchester City, Borussia Dortmund, uh, Puma, Gladbach, they all have this funny looking third shirt um, where there was no badge at the beginning. Borussia Dortmund fan um, scene was very much against it. They got it, they got it changed. So they suddenly have this third jersey with uh, the badge you can see or nothing. So that is important to have. I think when I, I speak here now for every, the average Borussia fan, the home jersey should be white, plain white or with some elements in it. Um, bring back history a bit like they did or tried to do. I'm not very, I mean, I'm big, not understanding wrong. And Puma here says, sorry, I'm a big fan of you, Puma. But sometimes I'm a little bit disappointed. It could have been a little bit more sometimes. And, but maybe I'm too old. Maybe, yeah. as I said in another interview in Germany as well, maybe we are not the target group anymore. Also our age, 52 or 50, is not the target group for Puma. The target group are the 21s, the 30-year-old people. They buy the shirts and we old um, yeah. hang, hang on too much on the past and we want the clean white shirts or this less uh, thing or straight a straight concept where you understand the concept, not like this actual jersey where I don't understand 
the concept, like I said before, might we throw three generations of jerseys in one, might not just like one thing, but maybe changes and looking forward to hear and see what comes up next. You mentioned those Puma third kits, Steve, which of course have been very controversial and how the Dortmund fans pushed for a change. Was there any similar level of protest among the Mönchengladbach fans? Not as much as Borussia Dortmund did. I was uh, just having uh, an interview last week with an editor um, from the Rheinische Post in, in Mönchengladbach, um, and I told him the same thing. Um, I was a little surprised that our fan scene was not as active as uh, the one from Borussia Dortmund, but it's okay. I think uh, our patch now is a little blacked out, so it's not clear as the one from from um, from Dortmund. But I think you can see it if you in the camera when the interviews. I think I saw it at um, one game. I think Mainz or so. They when you interviewed, they could see the badge for the. Um, but uh, Wolfsburg was again, you know, Wolfsburg, after the interview, you could see that there was, uh, the, uh, the badge was um, visible, kind of. Uh, Matthias said in the other games in um, Mainz and in um, Berlin, you couldn't see it so well anymore, um, but I didn't notice that. So it's okay. Well, Clara, like I said, it should be there as a nostalgic and as a fan, I think badge is a must, but when you look back in the 70s and 80s, I don't know how it was in England, but when you look in my book, Bundesliga Trikot Books, you see a lot of jerseys without the club crest. Yeah? There is no club, there's this one there, but the club crest is missing. <laughs> so going back to a time when there was no club crest, Gladbach started the 60s in black, but a coach's wife is said to have influenced the change. Tell us about that. Yeah, the rumor is that it was really clear if he, if he, um, the wife of um, Hannes Weisweiler, back then, his first wife, Lilo Weisweiler, uh, should have said to him, don't go to Borussia. They are so dark in their black, um, um, in their black jerseys. They look so, so sad and um, don't go there. Um, but he didn't listen. He just went anyway. And uh, But one of his first um, ideas was, of course, to change the colors into white. And um, in Menschen, I don't know, also, I don't know how it was in England, but in Germany um, in the 60s and 70s, the sports retailers at the city were the main distributor and partners for the clubs. They delivered the jerseys. They didn't have direct contact with the um, producer or with the outfitter. This didn't exist. The sports retailer was the main contact and the clubs bought the jerseys there. They didn't get it for free or something like today with a sponsorship deal or something like that. They had to go to the dealer and buy it. And you mentioned Gladbach, that was um, Sport Adweb, was the company. And its owner, Mike Hyde, um, was a very well-known figure in München Gladbach. He was everywhere. He was has his ears everywhere. He knew everything. And when he heard about that, that Weisweiler was going to change the colors, the next day he was there, brought him a catalog and showed him some samples, how it could be, how it could change. Yeah, and that's how it started and Borussia became white instead of black. It's interesting that you say first wife. 
So something went wrong. <laughs> Who knows? I I am an Arsenal supporter, Steve. So I remember the the two defeats in 1996-97, and of course, uh, Munching Gladbach had an All Black kit then as well. So would the average fan have realised the historical significance of wearing an All Black kit in the UEFA Cup? The old fans, of course. I think our generation, the back the younger ones, maybe didn't know about the history about the black jersey in, in München Lottach. Um, but it was, of course, uh, a special idea. Um, the manager back then, Rolf Rusman, um, um, he came up with the idea for the first time in, was it then? Yeah, 65 was the last time they played in black. I think um, it was 40 years later, first time they come back with a black jersey for this special moment. And then the favorite sponsor of all time in Mönchengladbach, Diebitz. Diebitz Beer, I think, is one of the most famous sponsors most you ever had. And this kit looked so, yeah, so great for everybody. Everybody loved it. And, um, yeah, and that's, I think, which brought back black as a color for the newer generations of fans today. And like I said in my other interview today, uh, with the German paper, um, for me, every year can be their black jersey. And I would love to have every year a black jersey. I love them. I buy them all the time when they come out. And uh, this is my favorite. Yeah. And you, you mentioned Diebels as your favorite sponsor. Yeah. Uh, the club have also had Postbank as sponsor. And Postbank's logo is yellow. Like, was there any issues with having yellow on the shirt given its association with Borussia Dortmund? The postbank story is a very big story in the book. Okay. Um, because this yellow was always, um, yeah, the thorn in the side of every Borussia Mönchengladbach fan. They never loved it. They never liked it. They always hated it. Okay. This yellow, this yellow was always every year was before when the new jersey came out. Every season, Facebook went over with. Uh, comments, why is that such a nice jersey and then why is this yellow? And yeah. <laughs> So I spoke to the communications manager who was back then responsible for the sponsorship. Max Eber, um, our manager, writes something in the foreword about uh, the discussions. Um, we explained it very well why, this, why the sponsor decided to stay with the yellow even if there was a lot of discussion or um, I, I'm thinking about maybe to change it. I also asked um, the communications manager about it. The first question I asked her, I have to ask you that, um, you know what the question is coming, <laughs> why you didn't change it or why, did you, why you didn't leave the yellow out because you could have sold so much jerseys more maybe, you would have the fans on your side more and he said, maybe in Mönchengladbach, yes, I would, we would have sold much more jerseys, maybe. But our strategy was not just Mönchengladbach. It's an overall strategy for Germany, for Europe, and TV. TV is very important. Yeah. And this is our logo. This is our sponsor. This is, I think, we don't change that. We discussed it often, but we always came back and said, no, we leave it as it is. Even if we know that the trouble among the fan scene is going to be high, 
it's a not well um, loved sponsor, but the financial part or from the financial side, from the uh, club side, of course, it's an important sponsor because 11 years, how long does the sponsor usually stay? Mm. 11 years is a long time. And uh, they sponsored us for 11 years. And even in the dark times, when we went down in the second division, yeah, usually every sponsor says goodbye, then we don't stay with you, but they stay. So it might be not a well-loved sponsor in among the Borussia scene, but it's, I think, an uh, important sponsor for the rise back of Borussia. Because without Postbank, I think, I tell you, we might have gone down because money issues and whatever. Who never knows? It's so yeah. much behind it. So we have to live with the yellow. It will, it will always be a discussion, I guess, even after we explained everything in the book. Yeah. We had all sides and we explained all sides. But I bet, bet with you, the discussion will go on even after this explanation. Okay, so we've covered black. Now yeah. let's talk about red, because despite the fact that it's a colour associated with Kelm, red shirts are a part of Borussia's history. So tell us about those. That is one of the most interesting parts of the history of Borussia, I guess, and for, for everybody, because uh, like the young ones, the young fans probably don't know about that. My son is 19 years old. I showed him the book and said, are you going to read it? You want to hear something or you want to read something about the history? You can look in the book and when you're uh, a young fan and you don't know much about this time, I think this book helps you to understand um, the 60s, the 70s. And we played, Borussia played in this time in blue and red a lot, especially in red. And the, in the season when we got up, uh, in the first division, or after uh, they played it, I think in the first year I had the book about 12 to 15 times, or not always away. You expect that you wear a red away in a away game. They wore it at home, home games as well. The famous game where the the pole broke, yeah, um, they played in red at home. So that is, of course, an interesting story. Then suddenly blue came up. So they spoke, uh, uh, had blue jerseys as well. And we made a, um, in the story, Matthias most, mostly responsible for that part, of course. We made an excourse um, part where we tell about the red and the blue jerseys with an introduction, why and when, and then we show a big, um, big part of blue and red jerseys and tell the stories why they did were red there and why was it so. But today, you couldn't wear red anymore. Dick mm -hmm. Advocat in 2004 was a short time um, coach, Dutch uh, international coach, very famous coach, yeah. successful coach. He came and um, he loved red. His favorite colors were red. And he wanted to bring in red as the jersey for Borussia. And they even had samples, but then he got um, sacked. Mm. The jerseys never came up in the next season. So, But I think the protest would have been immense. The rivalry with Cologne today, it wouldn't work anymore. In the back times, it didn't matter, but today it would matter, or even in 2004 or 2005. Would you look at maybe producing an updated version of the Bundesliga book to kind of take into account newer releases and shirts that have a story attached? 
Yeah, also I would love to make a new edition. Also the publishing house is a different one than I published my um, Gladbach book at. Um, they declined to make a new edition. So um, I will get my rights back soon. And okay. when I have my rights back, I'm looking to um, republish it. Um, maybe with another publishing house, maybe with the same one who published uh, Gladbach. Maybe another one, I don't know yet. Um, but a different. I have a different concept in mind. I want to make it a little smaller, um, um, a little cheaper to range a wider audience. Okay. Because uh, that is right now is a um, coffee table book for people who love this thing. But I also think, and especially you guys in England, that is what fascinated me the most. So many people from England ordered my book, but even if they couldn't read it. Yeah, that is what's fascinating me the most. So I always was looking for um, an English publisher. So if any English publisher listening to this here, mm -hmm. um, or investor, English investor who likes to make licensed product in English version of my book and the new concept, I'm willing to take offers <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because I think it is an international uh, topic. I think it's not just a book for England, UK, Ireland. But it also could wear Italy. You know this yourself. Italy has a very big fan scene with um, yeah. a lot of kid books there, um, pants. Asia, Asia is a very big market for Bundesliga as well. I think a lot of collectors are living there as well. So if I would have an English um, edition of my book, it would not just sell in in um, England or Ireland. It would also sell overseas. Steve, thanks for telling us some of the stories yeah. of Borussia kits that are featured in your new book. How can people get a copy of Das Gladbach Trico? Um, the publisher told me they have just five euro costs for postage, but go to the Werkstatt um, publishing house website. They can order it. For me, you can get a copy when you want to have a signed copy. Also, if you want to um, have a signed a copy or an, uh, with a dedication from me to you, uh, and I, you can write me an email or a link to my website, trekobuch.de, might be the best way, or Amazon, maybe the easiest way to get it via Amazon. Yeah. That's probably um, the cheapest way also for, for international fans. Wonderful. Thanks for your time, Steve. Thank you very much for having me again. Bye-bye. Cheers, Steve. Nachmittag geht es los ins Stadion zum Vögelberg. Im Auto ist die Stimmung groß und alle singen los. Ja, wir schwören Schein und Wein auf die Elf vom Niederrhein. Borussia, unser Dreamteam, wenn du bist, unser Verein. So, Dennis, we know that blue is the colour for Chelsea, but why are your mashups the game today? Well, Les, in the summer of 2006, Chelsea ended a relationship with Umbro going back two decades almost, and they moved to Adidas, and obviously Adidas provided them with a blue home kit, uh, white away and black third, which is, I'd say if you went back through Chelsea's kit history, they've had those three options on quite a few occasions. 
all fairly normal. The the team Geist was a, a very popular Adidas design that time. There was there was a few kind of versions of it with, with different permutations of the shards down the side. Chelsea had that for their home kit. And then the away was an alternative template with a kind of a lower neck and not as much not as much trim going on. Argentina's home and Spain's home that summer were, were versions of it and Chelsea's fight away was. What mightn't have been so evident then was the fact that each of those styles had a distinct shorts construction um, different different kind of cut and different panelling. So like Argentina didn't really mind that they mixed their two kits but Chelsea for reasons best known to Adidas had blue home shorts obviously white away shorts in the a different style to the, the blue home set and then they had blue away chain shorts in the same style as the white away set. Uh, so they were the same colour scheme as the home but different in terms of makeup. Yeah, the, the away set had like white curved piping above the hem and it, it sort of visually connected the shorts with the curved blue piping that was on the shirt. It sort of went in a, the piping yeah. sort of went in a bell shape, didn't it? Yeah, whereas the blue home set just had white trim on the hem, shall we say. So those blue shorts, they were worn with the white shirts at Everton and Portsmouth, for example. Okay, well, that's not ideal, but not unique. I know I've spoke about them a bit in this podcast, but my lot, Hull City, we had two sets of black shorts and two sets of amber shorts in 2012-2013. And Manchester United have had... You know that phenomenon on more than a few occasions. Yeah, yeah, they, they, um, there were the, a few articles on my site about the the seasons where they doubled up with shorts and our socks. But the strange thing with Chelsea was that in March two thousand and seven, away to West Ham, they ended up wearing the blue home shorts with the white away shorts. Now, whether that was a mistake or planned, I don't know. Chelsea won that game, but there was some kind of karmic retribution from the kit gods as they drew the remaining five league games uh, from there to the end of the season, and they lost their title to Manchester United. Then the following season, 2007-08, they got rid of that white away, they did a kind of a day-glow yellow away, but did a new white third. It's meant to be all white, but in one of its two appearances, again at West Ham, the same blue home shorts were called upon. Of course, the team guys kit was used for two seasons, wasn't it? I mean, who did Chelsea think they were doing that? Brentford with their two <laughs> season long kits. <laughs> Something in the the London water, I think. That's it for episode six. We'll try not to leave it as long before episode seven comes out. Thanks to Steve Akinowitz of Desk Dad Back Trico for being our guest. And we look forward to coming back with a new episode and a new guest very soon. <laughs>